Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. So we are looking at 1 Peter. I know for me, I have loved studying it. It was a f- just a few words even that I was just hanging on this week uh, in the text that we're going to look at. Remember, Peter's writing uh, to Christians uh, who are a part of a number of churches in Asia Minor, all experiencing opposition and hostility from the society, uh, culture in, in every way. And he's trying to remind them, hey, you're the people of God. Don't Don't lose it here. Don't lose your grip. Not only are you the people of God, but you can have an incredible impact if you you come to understand your identity and learn how to engage the culture that's opposed to the way you believe and the way you you live and your your values. You can have uh, a powerful impact. And last week, Peter started with a few of these metaphors that are helping us gain a sense of this important identity. And the last, uh, the f- one we looked at last week was uh, the living stones in First Peter chapter 2 and verses uh, 4 and 5. I think we got it. Need it turned on? All right, there we go. So First Peter... In verse 2, or verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, precious, chosen and precious, you yourselves are living stones. So that was the first image, and you've become a kind of spiritual house. That was the first image we sort of had to tease out, because it's a, uh, Peter wants you to know that uh, it's a real, beautiful, even though it's spiritual, it doesn't really have walls. It is, um, it is something that materializes when we gather together. There's a, a spiritual growth and development that comes from our connection to one another. We're being built up together. All right? Those connections uh, sort of create a house where God can dwell in a way that he doesn't dwell when we're just sort of individual when we come together. Let me just add something here. Obviously, we live in a culture that's less and less uh, accepting of who we are, and that's a tough thing. We're learning. But it's also, uh, we're also in a pandemic. And so what getting together looks like right now is a little bit different. And so for those of you who are tuning in in other ways, and you're connecting maybe in small groups on Zoom or doing smaller group type things, all those count as being together, connecting. So everything you're doing to tune in to uh, our time together is, is really important, and I appreciate you doing that. But God is building something unique, and it's bigger than me. Okay, it's not just an individual stone. It's... He's building something, and it's bigger than me. Uh, And that's really part of 
this gaining a sense of wonder when we gather together, of what he's doing when, when we are together. Uh, I know many of us would like to imagine a, a, a deeper spiritual life. And Peter is trying to say, you can't imagine that. Uh, your life, your spiritual life, your purpose, significance outside of the group. There is a very significant part of what God is doing in you and, and through you together that requires us, all of us, I need you and you need me. That's what he's saying here. So on top of the stones image, which creates sort of this a spatial image, where God can be among us. We're not just walls, according to this text. Peter says, we're priests. So we're this spiritual house, this very sacred place, but in that sacred place are priests, each one of us. And we make sacrifices, as he's going to see. And so the question always becomes, as you think about this imagery and the identity Peter wants you to have, uh, you think about, uh, all right, so I'm a stone in one sense. I'm needed to sort of create this space where God works. But I'm a living stone, and as a living stone, I'm a priest, so I'm not just sitting there. So it's always important spiritually in your, in your life to ask, have I found my, my place in this community, and then I know what my priestly function is. That's what you're asking. It's a sacred place with a sacred duty. So if you're thinking about imagining a different kind of spiritual life, you want to answer those two questions first. Where's my place? What's my duty uh, among the people? Otherwise, you know, I was thinking about this. Uh, if you're just a stone by yourself alone, you probably have these in your yard, just a decorative stone. You could just be a decorative stone, a stone all by yourself. Uh, they don't really have any real purpose. Stones that are brought together to build something, they have purpose. And so Peter would be saying, don't just plop down somewhere. Don't just take up space. Don't just be dead weight. Don't make people have to work around you or stare at you. You know, those kind of rocks, things just start living under. You know what I mean? <laughs> they, things just start living under rocks like that. Peter wants you to be a stone that's fit somewhere, has a sacred duty. So he calls us priests. Remember we said, once you start talking about a spiritual house and priests in it, and you think about the Old Testament, which Peter has in mind, you're talking about the Holy of Holies. You're talking about sacred duties. Priests had special access, special privilege. They mediated the presence of God. Well, Peter's saying, you're the house now. So there is no special location. It's just you guys. So whenever you're together, everything you do together is like you're all in a holy of holies, and you're all doing something very sacred. You can't use more sacred language. Priests used to wear certain outfits, certain garb, had special privileges. And he's saying, that's all of us now. That's how he's describing the church. That's what he's telling this group of people who are being opposed by society. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you're supposed to be doing? 
Everything you do with each other and for each other is sacred. All your activities and all your interactions are elevated to the highest, holiest place. That's a profound uh, thought here, and it separates Christianity from other religions that like to have spiritual elite who, who everyone looks to. According to this text, we're all priests. So, we all have same access, same privileges. What are we doing as priests? Well, we're spiritual sacrificing. We're, we're making sacrifices. That's what he says. We offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, we'll get to this phrase here in a minute about acceptable to God. But let's talk about this, sacrifices. That means as priests, every one of us are priests, um, all that I've All that I have, all that I've experienced, all that God has given me, taught me, uh, is offered up. In other words, I bring my whole world, I bring my whole world to to this community. Uh, We don't sacrifice animals here, in case you're a guest and and you're wondering how crazy are these people. Uh, We don't sacrifice animals, we offer ourselves. We offer ourselves to God on behalf of others. When we we offer ourselves to others, that becomes a gift to God. When I interact with you and when uh, I do things with you and for you, those become offerings to God. It's probably very rare that you imagine some of the things that you're doing with and for people in the community when you found your sort of priestly duty that you imagine it that sacred. That something I do for you or with you is actually something you've offered to God. And you think about how that would change your sense of wonder of interacting with one another. It would change it completely. So these sacrifices sort of explain the communal life together. Stones built up, now we're priests, and all there are sacrifices sort of explain the, the communal life Peter's trying to help these people see is their identity. So uh, they become these sacrifices resources for how we grow, the materials for how you develop. You're shaped by our interactions together and their sacred offerings to God. So Peter is saying, in this special space where you're making these sacrifices, this is where you take refuge from a hostile society. And this is where you're built up spiritually. So you can't imagine a kind of spiritual life that does not have other priests sacrificing into your life and you sacrificing into theirs. You're not an alone all by yourself kind of priests, just you and God. That's not how it works. Your offerings to him come from what we do with each other. This is a profound, profound image. So in chapter 4, Peter gets really specific. 
Uh, and that's what I want to do today. I want to give you four things, four priestly sacrifices that we make when we're together. And I want you to see how they preserve community. Because uh, that's what Peter's going to try to say. I want you to try to preserve this community that you have, this special thing that you have. All right? So we're going to look at four of them. And remember, this is the same context because we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And when you get in there, you start to see Peter remi- reminds us, remember the judgment begins in the house of God. Well, these are the kind of things you're going to be judged for. These are the kind of things we should be expecting or, you know, actually expecting in our lives, inspecting in our lives. So, so uh, let's look at them. Uh, he says here in, uh, the end of all things is at hand. This is verse 7. It's chapter 4. He's going to talk about this community. The end of all things. Let me show you. He is talking about community. This is the whole text by itself. And I just want you to see how many times he uses the phrase one another so that you can see it's a communal element. This is, in other words, whatever the priestly duties are here, you cannot do them alone. So I'd like to be like that. Can't do it by yourself. That's the whole text by itself. Now let's look at the terms. The end of all things is at hand, Peter says. This is what he wants. This is how priests think. You want to know how priests think? The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. One of the things priests do is they pray for one another. This is what you went to the priest for. He would go to God for you. That's what we do for each other. You say, what kind of priest do you want? Well, Peter says, uh, I'd like him, he uses two great words here, uh, sort of sober-minded, self-controlled. Both terms overlap each other in a, in a, in a very interesting way mentally. So you got this sort of, you, gotta, you, you, want, you want a sane priest, a priest who's sane, that's the first idea, and who's self-controlled. Uh, Imagine another kind of priest, okay? Out of his mind and loose. That's not what you want in your priest. So that's you. You want a guy who when you come to him, you go, if I ask him to pray for me, I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's nuts. So you have this prayerfulness, but what's he trying to say here? First thing he says is uh, of the priest. We know how it all ends, priests. We have a very, very spiritual mindset. You would expect a priest to have a very, very spiritual mindset about all reality. When he looks at world history, when he looks at the world, he doesn't just see rulers and kingdoms. He sees redemptive history. He knows where God's taking everything. So he has perspective on all reality. He doesn't get sucked into illusions He's got a real spiritual mindset. Um, he, doesn't get, he doesn't get caught up in what's happening in the world. He gets, he's caught up in what God is doing. He invests in what can't be seen. He's not hooked on the material and the physical. He sees past all that. This is a, this is a great quality. I think, I think we can honestly say that during this political season, many of us lost our minds. 
Christians in general lost their minds. We may not have ever seen the division among Christianity itself surface the way we have during this political season. People saying outlandish things. Got a little too caught up. Got desperate, got angry. Got fearful. Felt a loss of control. Divided. A little hopeless. See, and here's what priests do for one another. Um, any situation in your life or in the church's life, you, you, get, uh, you have context for it because you know the end of all things. You have context for it. Whatever's going on in your life, you have a context for it because you know God is taking everything to, to a certain place. We need each other on that because there are times I'm starting to lose my mind. I need you to remind me. There are times you're starting to lose your mind. You need me to remind you. Just had a great friend, friend of a family I've known for 30 years, 79-year-old woman, matriarch of one of the most special families that I've known pass away on Friday. I was on prayerful Zoom calls during the week. We were asking God to save her. Because she's just touched so many, hundreds, hundreds of us on a Zoom call. Very special person. And we lost her, and the family's devastated. They were real close, very, just a special family. And afterwards, you know, and, you know, we knew we were going to lose her, and then she passed away, and then we were all just now back on prayerful times and interacting with each other about the confidence that we have of where she's at. And we were able to bring a context to a very, very painful thing. Priests with the end in mind, who know the end in mind, are able to do that. And what it does is it navigates them it helps them navigate life, and they always move toward prayer. They lean toward prayer because they know that means that they're aligning themselves to God. When we prayed on Zoom this week for this gal, we were aligning ourselves with God's will. We were asking for something, but at the end of the day in our prayers, just by virtue of praying, we're essentially saying to God, whatever you want, whatever you want. We have the whole picture, not just a part of it. We know what the end is, and this isn't it. That's what that means. So that's what you want in a priest. Are you that? That's a convicting thought right now to me. Am I that for people? Or am I, is my, am I, am I always, am I losing my mind over things? Here's the second one. So we have a sane mind. A sane mind in life is what he's saying. Here's the second one. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. This is a great one. Now, he's going to say above all because you know he's going to, you know, love is going to be at the top of any, any of the writer's list. He's going to say earnestly because... 
he wants you to fight for. It's a top priority, and you fight for it. Now, listen, you're not, you can't love people by yourself. You can't be that decorative rock outside. You've got to be connected to other rocks to love them. And, you know, some rocks, let's be frank, no pun intended, are hard to love. Right? Some rocks are hard to love, and we're going to hurt each other. When you bump them up together, it's going to hurt every now and then. So Peter says, above all, you got to have love for one another because you're going to fail. You're going to fail each other. And he even gives you the thing that you need love for the most. That's to cover the sins, to cover all the sins in here. There's lots of sins in here. We need lots of love. Agreed? So Peter, <laughs> Peter quotes Proverbs 10, 12, which is, love covers a multitude of sins, but what does he write here? Uh, let's see if we can find that. Hatred stirs up strife. So, you know, Love is, the, is most needed when we've hurt each other, wronged each other, or failed each other. This is a very relational concept. Obviously, he says in the text, love one another. Above all, love one another. So, um, and here's, here's what we mean, you know, the difference between covers and stirs sin. You can either cover sin in here, or you can stir it up. You think about that for a second. You can cover it or you can stir it. What does he mean? What he means is love puts an end to evil and sin. It's at its best when it stops evil dead in its tracks. Doesn't allow sin to come to full expression or get out of control. Imagine it's a fire and you're going to put the fire out so that it doesn't spread and cause more damage. This is how sin operates. Uh, So you want to minimize the damage. So you cover it so it gets, here's two things you don't want sin to get. Air or air time. In other words, I don't want to be blabbing about your sin or adding to your sin. Or you to mine. You don't want to blab about my sin or add to mine. That's what Peter's saying. So, um, you know, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite stories I've, I've ever heard about silencing sin. In other words, if somebody hurts you, you don't go blabbing it. Because the first thing you do when you get sinned against by somebody in here, you blab it. Uh, Great story I read many years ago. Uh, 17th century England, General Cromwell. Uh, Whenever some soldier had done something really horrible and was about to be executed, they would come into the little town that they were in, and uh, they'd execute him publicly. And the way everyone knew to gather to sort of see what was going on is that the, the sexton would ring the bell. And everybody in the town would come together and they'd, everybody would say what this soldier did. 
Well, this was about to happen in one of these soldiers' lives, but he had a girl that he was engaged to. And um, she pleaded with General Cromwell and the judge not to take his life, but to no avail. And so when the sexton, who was deaf and blind, began to, 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 to pull on the rope to ring the bell for the town to come together, this little gal had climbed up and grabbed the tongue and wrapped herself around it so that as he was pulling the rope, no one heard the sound because she was getting beat along the sides, silencing the bell so that no one would come out. And after a time, he stopped, uh, you know, trying to ring the bell, and she battered, bruised, bloody, came down, and General Cromwell wanted to know why the bell didn't sound. And she told him what she had done. And it kept the whole town from coming out and seeing what this soldier had done. And uh, a poem was written. It goes like this. At his feet, she told her story, showed her hands all bruised and torn, and her sweet young face still haggard with the anguish it had worn. Touched his heart with sudden pity, lit his eyes with misty light. Go, your lover lives, said Cromwell. Curfew will not ring tonight. That a great story. How would you like to imagine yourself being a person like that who will do anything to cover up somebody else's sin? You don't blab about each other's sin. If you really want to earnestly love, this is what you do. And you don't just keep silent about it. You say to sin when it's happening, especially if you're the one being hurt, this is really hard to do. You ever say the phrase, that's gone far enough? That's what Peter means. You've let sin go as far as it's gone. It happened to you. The sin reached you, hurt you, and now you're going to put a cover on it and stop it right there by not repaying evil for evil, by not hurting back. Listen, Hillside, you know this. You probably haven't thought about it recently. Evil has a cycle. It starts with a little hurt. Then it builds to a bigger one. And then you become bitter. And then you look, then you're like, okay, okay. You wanna okay. You want to play that way? And then we look to add to that evil. Peter says, stop it. Just stop that evil right there. So now that means... If you're going to love well, you're going to have to absorb people's evil. So you don't talk about it, and you don't add to it. This is a, a tough calling right there. But don't you, hey, wait, what, what kind of priest do you want in your life? Do you want a priest who blabs? Do you want a blabby priest? I don't want a blabby priest. I want a sane priest, we saw first, and I don't want a blabby priest. I want when it gets to that priest, it dies. Priests can handle dirt. They're really holy people. They try to be holy people, but they can handle dirt because they know God. They know they're the go-between to God, and they know God can handle dirt. All right, number. So that's the second one. It's the kind of priest I want. A priest who's so aware of his own sin, he doesn't have to blab about yours. By the way, if you're blabbing about somebody else's sin, you must have a really low view of your own. 
That's not how priests are. Okay, number three. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I know when you first hear that word, you're like, what, what, what am I supposed to do with this? I just want to give you a, just a quick one on this and spend a few more minutes on the last one. Here's what he says. This is, what, this is essentially what kind of priest you want. You want a priest with a welcoming heart, an open heart. You don't want a priest who you know, cr- sort of cracks the door. I thought of Oz. Remember in Oz, you know, behind the curtain? Go! Get away from me. I don't want to be around you. This is the... Uh, this is a... Uh, a real sort of cold-hearted kind of person. Here's what Peter is trying to say. Some of us are better at the you. We all know somebody who's really good at hospitality. And let me define hospitality for you here because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking only dinner at somebody's house. Only when you're uh, bringing somebody into your own home. And that's not what hospitality is in this text. It's broader because of the culture. Um, it very often involved eating together, but it can be any kind of, let me see, let me put it to you this way. This is when you invite someone into your circle, not just your home. Do you know how hard it is? I don't know how hard it is for you to invite people into your home. It might be really hard for you. But it might be harder for you to invite people into your circle. Like, how open are you to people in your small group? How open are you to having a conversation with somebody right out here? How open are you to engaging people? Hospitable priests. Uh, They greet. They eat. They have small groups. They have couples. They have friends. They have connections. They're moving toward people. The one common thing I've seen for 25 years is that there's a whole host of people who will attend a church, and ours included, who never ever meet anyone, never greet anyone, never connect to anyone. How many times do you come here on a Sunday morning and never have a meaningful conversation that might encourage you or encourage somebody else? Those are the kind of priests we need. Because standoffish priests are useless. See, all of these little touches we give to one another, conversations, are all things God God values them. Every time you reach out to anyone in some tiny way or big way, like you're going to make a big meal, you're going to take all day. I know we have people over the house, I got to do a lot of cleaning. Like, that's the part. So he says, without grumbling, because it's usually kind of costly to. It's always costly to invite somebody into your world. Even for many of us, it would be hard to invite someone into a conversation today, let alone bring them to your house and cook a meal. Without complaining is basically Peter saying, would you get over the costs and just do it? Because that's what good priests do. So no matter what setting you're in, you have a unifying sort of uh, bringing people in kind of a feel. And every time it happens to you, 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 there are many times you're like, 
I don't want people over today, honey, but well, they're coming and you're going to. And then by the time they're gone, you just go, oh, my gosh, that was great. We had a great time. It's hard to get there. But once you do, it's always beneficial. And God knows it. God knows you need that one another in time. I had it this week. Um, a good portion of my family, which is a lot to feed, uh, went over to another uh, you know, large family. And we had a meal this week together. Uh, we were together for a number of hours. And I was a little discouraged when I went in there. Food was amazing. The conversation was so utterly uplifting that when, you, when I left there, I felt truly filled spiritually. And studying First Peter, it just reminded me that's the reason God loves it when we get together. Because something happens. you got to be hospitable. That's the kind of priest we want. Here's the last one. Uh, each of us has received a gift. Everyone here is a special priest. Use it to serve one another. You need a priest who serves. As stewards. So steward your Steward your abilities. Steward your gifts. That's, what the, that's the fourth one that the priest does. He stewards what God's given him. And God's given varied gifts. This was the word I was telling you about that I really like. It's just multifaceted, many dimensions. It's a, it's a cool little Greek word. There's lots of them in here. Every priest in here has got unique facets to how God's gifted them to impact other people. Every single one of you. It's a wonderful truth. But the point is, is that it's not just for you. Whatever he's given you, he's given you to use it. So if you're not using it, that's a, that's a muscle you're not using that'll atrophy. And it's, uh, it's, it's some profit that the church isn't getting because you're not using it. And so I love how... Uh, Peter breaks this down because you're like, oh, I wonder what all the gifts are. And I love that Peter does this. He just does not get technical at all. He literally says this in verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. You've been gifted some way. You speak or you serve. And whoever serves. This is Peter's gift list. Isn't this amazing? You know, Paul has all these gift lists of Roman. Romans 12, and then in you know, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, or 12 through 14, he's got all these gifts. Peter breaks it down into two categories. You're either good with words, God blesses you with words, or he just, he's, you're an action person, you're a servant. Okay? And every time, whenever God uses you, you know, when you're a priest who offers that to somebody, you offer the right word to somebody in some context, or you uh, offer a lending hand in some way to somebody's life, it could be anything that happens in our church together, you always know that it's, uh, we get our strength to do it from God, or we literally have God give us the words. And how many times have you said, I don't know what to say. I don't know what I'm going to say. I brought up the idea of having a conversation today, and you went like, oh, my God. 
I don't know what to say. Why don't you let God have a shot? Let God have a shot. God, you want me to speak? Give me some words. And then you'll come away from that conversation. You go, wow, I didn't realize God could use me. I didn't know he would give me words. Or how about strength? You go, I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. I don't have the whatever it is, the ability maybe. You just say, God, I don't know how I'm going to pull that off, but I need you to do it. So I, I, I did. And look, everything we do, he's glorified. This is, this is the offering we give to him. So the, the, little, the words you speak and the little things you do for each other. You, you might give to somebody or you might lend a helping hand or you might serve them. Or you, it doesn't matter. There's all kinds of little things. But at the end of the day, Peter divides the entire church up into, hey, sometimes uh, he'll give you a word for somebody. You just, it's, it could be an encouraging word. It just could be a conversation. Because these are the kind of things you need. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you really this question, and you'll see, I think, maybe, maybe it'll help you. Uh, don't you love it when somebody says the right thing to you at the right time? How many times have you walked away going, man, I needed to hear that? I wonder how many words aren't getting communicated to people who really need them because we don't think God will give us the word when we need to have it. And I wonder how many little actions aren't coming because many of us are thinking, I don't think the church needs me. I don't think anybody needs me. I don't think I have any really abilities. I want to tell you something about everyone in this room. I don't know who looks gifted to you and who doesn't. I want you to know no one in this room can do it without God. No one's that good. So if you need a word, trust him for it. If you need ability or strength to pull something off, trust him for it. The last thing you could do, here's what Satan will do. The last thing Satan, uh, he's best at getting you to feel like God can't use you. He will reduce your spiritual imagination faster than he'll reduce your imagination in any other category. He will give you more excuses for why you can't engage someone hospitably and why you can't reach out and serve somebody. He'll give you all of them. And whenever he's doing that, he's just putting a wet blanket on everything God could potentially do in the life of this church. I'm going to tell you right now, I guarantee there's people in this room who need a word. And there's people in this room who need a hand. Priests are looking. When you leave here today, just pray a little simple prayer. God, do I have a word for somebody? Maybe I can do something around here. Do you know that right now, all over this building, there are people doing things around here that make it possible for us to sit here? Be one of them. Be one of them. By the way, as I close this now, we've created a staff position here recently over the last month. Director of serving. Because we want now, more than we ever have in the past in this church, to sort of lift this this 
characteristic of our church, priests, to, to remind us that we're all priests. So there's never been a better time, never, I think, in the history of Hillside, for you to say, show me where I can fit in as one of those stones and what I can do. Just go back to our community, our connect area back here. We'll help you with that. Because we need you. And according to this text, you need us. And here's the one thing about being a priest that I really love. That God has given each, given each one of us the sacred privilege, power, and authority to actually change people's lives and to even transform ourselves when we're together and serving each other like this. Do you see that? Been too busy, been too timid, been too selfish. Give that up today. So I want to be one of those kind of priests. Just bow your heads. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word. Lord, this is who you're calling us to be. We want to be it. I thank you for every person in this room because they wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And now I'm asking that you help them find their spot here. And be these kind of priests. In Jesus' name, amen.